uh, Isaiah chapter 6. We will be uh, in there eventually. That'll be a big one. So you can uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. John chapter 16 as well, if you want to put your thumb in something. So... We are going to be going through the person of the Holy Spirit this morning. To recap just a little bit, uh, Dominic took us through the foundational understanding of the necessity of the Holy Spirit as it pertains to our faith, the Godhead, the Trinity, and we, uh, we laid a kind of a foundation of pneumatological statements that I'm going to go through once again, and we're just going to be going through as a church each week to really just remind ourselves of the foundational need for the Holy Spirit, for His uh, leading and guiding in our lives. And so here's kind of the statements that we saw last week that we're going to go into again, and then we will pray. So as a part of the eternally existing Godhead, the Holy Spirit in all that He does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its sin. He regenerates sinners. And we are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs into the family of God by the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. Amen. He indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers to follow Christ, to live on mission in the world, and to serve the body of Christ. We're going to be going through the work of the Holy Spirit next week. It's going to be super rad. When we experience supernatural power, calling, and anointing, we will be going through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Gifts, we will be going through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And leading, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, there is no Godhead, no church, and no fruitful or abundant life. So the Holy Spirit, He is absolutely necessary for the guiding of the Christian life. Amen? And so to recap also the purpose of this series, once again, this foundational just, you know, kind of document that we put together, how we want to really formulate our lives around the Holy Spirit this summer is to better understand and acknowledge the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? So to be aware of Him. And this morning we will be going through the person of the Holy Spirit, understand who He is, because he, He's a He, you know that? Not an it but a he, a who, right? And to become more dependent on the Holy Spirit in our lives, to be more attuned and obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to experience more of his presence in our lives. And lastly, and as a result of the above, that we will bear more fruit of the Spirit, begin to see Jesus more clearly, and begin to see the Father more glorified in our lives than ever before. Amen? All right, will you pray with me? Lord, we dare not venture where you have not gone before us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would go before us, that you would walk beside us, that you would illuminate the parts of our hearts that need illumination. You would guide us into all truth of who you are, of who Jesus is, of the loving Father. And that as we grasp a deeper understanding of who you are, we would discover more of our purpose in you. So Holy Spirit, come. Be beside us. Be in us. Be working and molding our hearts and shaping us more like Jesus. First in our understanding 
and then in our action. We love you. We give you all glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. So we are going to be talking about the person of the Holy Spirit, the who of the Holy Spirit. And I think when we're kind of thinking of the Holy Spirit in our heads, I can tend to think of Him more as this force or power that is used to give God glory, almost like Star Wars, right? Almost, almost like Star Wars, that there is this force, this power that can be tapped into and can be used for good or evil, And oftentimes when I'm formulating the the concept of the Holy Spirit, I think of Him almost as a tool to use to glorify the Lord instead of thinking of Him as the Lord, thinking of Him as God. And we see this all throughout our culture. Almost like a using of the Holy Spirit instead of a union with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? There is a wanting to harness His power almost like a weapon for good without a knowledge of who He is as a person. And that comes from looking at the Holy Spirit through the lens of what He does rather than who He is. What His actions are or what His function is rather than the person behind those actions, behind the power. And we could do this with people, can't we? We do this with people all the time. When we're introducing ourselves to people and when we're getting to know one another, what is one of the first questions we ask? What do you do? What do you do for a living? What do you do for work? Do you go to school? Are you this or that? Are you a mom? Are you a dad? So we we think of the function of the person, the vocation of the person. What do you do? And when we reduce people to their function, it is harder to get to know them, the real them. You see, if somebody's an accountant, right, and they're, they're crunching numbers for a living, and, and I ask them, hey, what do you do? And they say, I'm an accountant. That doesn't give me necessarily a glimpse into their passions, their loves, their likes, their dislikes, their family, who loves them, who they love. It just gives me a description of their vocation. It might give me a little glimpse into their personality, but it doesn't let me know who they are as a person. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. There's a person behind the miracles. There's a person behind the comforting, the leading, and the gifts that He bestows upon us. In fact, much of what He does comes from who He is. This is true for us as well, isn't it? This is true for us. Much of what we do in life isn't, that's, that's not the sum of who we are. That is not the entirety of our identity, but often what we do stems from who we are as people. And yet it can be harder sometimes to relate the Holy Spirit to a person, to an actual person, because His title doesn't necessarily make it easy on us, does it? it, it, it does, it's Holy Spirit. Like, what's a spirit? Right? And the New King James, I mean, the King James Version makes it even harder on us. It calls it Holy Ghost, right? That doesn't make anything easier there. Like, what's a ghost? Like, what's a ghost? And so it's harder for us to conceptualize these words, denote this almost this immaterial, ethereal, and separated being, does it not? It's hard for us to kind of 
reach our hands to the Holy Spirit and grab it. For the Father and the Son, there's a little bit easier grasping, right? There, there, there's, there's an easier just kind of, for better or worse, we, we have a concept of what a father is, yes? We have a concept of what a father is, and so it's easier for us to kind of latch on to the definition of a father. And, and we also, we have the work of Jesus as King and Lord because there's these easier narratives to follow in Scripture in the Gospels. So for the father and son, at least for me, I, I, I have a better time latching on and grasping who they are as members of the Trinity. But when I think of the Spirit, like I said, I can, I can often think He's immaterial, impersonal. But that is not at all what the biblical words get at when they describe the Holy Spirit, huh? You see, first we've got to look at the word holy, right? Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. So first we look at the word holy, and the word holy in Scripture is a spatial word. It's, it's, it's meant to describe someone or something that has it's at a moral distance because of their purity. They are set apart from the rest. There's this otherness associated with the word holy. Otherness. For God, it describes that, that moral distance, how he is so high and above us because of how perfect and glorifying he is. So holiness denotes that separateness. And so in Isaiah chapter 6, if you're there, Isaiah chapter 6 describes the holiness of God very well. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the ground of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, this is Isaiah, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. So we see here this interaction between Isaiah and God where Isaiah gets this glimpse into the holiness of God. And when he, find, when he sees the glory of God, there is this stark separation that occurs. And that's not because God has said, stand back, I am far too good for you. It is this, wow, he is so incredibly, there's this searing purity about him. That in contrast to you, O Lord, I am so unclean and unworthy that I tremble. And so for God, holy means high and lifted up. His glory causes Isaiah to discover the sinfulness in himself. This is a distance to contrast that. God's holiness is the searing purity of his eternal and infinite being, according to Ferguson. Isn't, isn't that such a good definition, right? God's holiness is the searing purity of His eternal and infinite being. His holiness is a part of what makes Him God. He is not only this, this separate one morally, but he is, he is above all. He is transcendent of time and space. He is the separate one. 
And so to ascribe the Spirit with the word holy in front of him denotes that same searing, pure, high, and exalted attribute of God. So assigning holy in front of the Spirit, it's giving him godhood. So when we say Holy Spirit and not just Spirit, it is saying, this is, this is not just any Spirit. This is God. This is God. Yet God in His entirety is holy, right? God in His entirety is holy. So what makes the Holy Spirit unique from other members of the Trinity? What is Spirit here? And Spirit in the biblical language is Ruach in Hebrew. Ruah in Hebrew. And it's pneuma in Greek. And I, I've been told separate things. Like some people say you're not supposed to pronounce the P, and some people say you are supposed to pronounce the P. I think it's more fun to pronounce the P, so I'm going to say pneuma, right? Pneuma in Greek. These are onomatopoeic words like sizzle or bang or pow or zap. Words that, that are spelt kind of the way that they sound. Boom. And so when we say ruah or numa, that's the, that's the word for spirit. And it, they're specifically used to signify the expulsion of breath. The expulsion of breath. The spirit, when referencing God, is described as the power and life-giving energy. Movement. Breath. Breath of God. The point of the Spirit is not immateriality, but rather the presence and energy and activity of God. Activity of God. There is nothing more present than breath. There is nothing closer to you than the breath you breathe. There is nothing more sustaining moment by moment that is necessary for life than breath. Movement and interaction hinges upon breathing. We think of the Spirit in the same way. Necessary for life. Moving. Sustaining. Actionable. Powerful. Yet breath is still not a person, right? Breath is still not a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is not merely energy or a force or a breath. He is not an it, but a who. And I cannot say that enough. He is not an it, but a who. And if we think of the Holy Spirit as merely an it, we will treat Him like an it. When we think of the Holy Spirit as an object, we will treat Him as we treat objects. And how do we treat objects? We use them. We manipulate them. We bend them to our will. A hammer is an object, and I will use a hammer for my desired goal, not the hammers, right? So whether it be destruction or building, I will use the hammer how I please. And we have seen in culture when people treat the Holy Spirit as an object, have we not? We have seen in Christian culture, especially when people view the Holy Spirit through the lens of that He is an it and not a who. He is a power to harness rather than a loving presence of God to be with. They will use it for destruction. Because we are destructive creatures, are we not? 
We are destructive creatures. Michael Horton, in Rediscovering the Holy Spirit, he says this. I love this quote. He says, As the Lord, the Holy Spirit, shares identically the same essence as the Father and Son. The Spirit is not subject to becoming, but is fully complete in Himself, independent of the world, immutable, omniscient, and omnipotent. Because He is Lord in precisely this way, He is free to involve Himself in the most intimate way with creation on basis of love rather than lack and generosity rather than need. Since He is God, He has the fullness of God to offer to us. So He is not a power for us to wield. He is God offering Himself. And the power does not come from us kind of wielding the Spirit like a, like, almost like a weapon, but rather the Spirit being present and working in us and through us. The idea of Ruach Kodesh is not simply energy from God, but rather God extending Himself in active engagement with His creation in a personal way. In a personal way. The breath of God denotes a closeness, an intimacy, (sighs) present. The Holy Spirit is God, present. The Holy Spirit is God here. The Holy Spirit's God. Now, how cool is that? I was reading my Bible and just just trying to understand the person of the Holy Spirit, and, and just like, He's God here. He's God now. You know, when you feel the presence of God, when when you're feeling the presence of God, that's the Holy Spirit. He's God here. He's God near. In Romans 5.5, it says this, And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. The overwhelming love of God and that presentness you feel. The comforting presence of God. That's the Holy Spirit. This is the holy extension of God Himself to us for the purpose of closeness with Him. An interaction with Him. And a co-laboring with Him. The Holy Spirit is God here. And when Jesus was risen from the dead, he went to his disciples and he said this in John 20, 21 through 22. Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And after saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The closeness, like he he brought the disciples in and he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit, that breath of God. The pneuma of God, giving him his breath, his essence, God here with us. The Holy Spirit is God intimately engaged with those who are his. Isn't that cool? And he is the manifest presence of God. He is God close and near. In the good, in the bad, in the struggles, in the triumphs, he is God here. He is God near to us. And that manifests itself, and Jesus tells us that this is the function of the Holy Spirit. This is who He is. He is this comforter, this counselor. 
In John chapter 16, Jesus says this, and this is before, this is kind of when Jesus is saying, preparing his disciples, I'm going to leave at some point. I'm not always going to be present here physically with you. In John chapter 16, verses 1 through 7, if you guys are there, you can read along or it's up here. I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going away to him who sent me and not one who asks me. Where are you? Uh, sorry. And not one who you, uh, you who, the start over. And not one of you asks me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if, you, if I don't go away, the counselor will, will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. This is a radical statement from Jesus. Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, God incarnate, says, listen, it is far better for me to go because if I don't leave, the comforter will not be sent to you. The comforter will not be sent to you. The counselor will not be sent to you. Jesus is saying, listen, hard times are coming. You will be persecuted. You will feel alone. You will stumble. You will sin. You will be betrayed. You will be treated unfairly. Life will happen to you, and I won't be physically there to walk through it with you. I won't be physically here to walk through the pain with you, and that seems really, really scary, but don't worry. It's for the better because the counselor is going to be here instead of me. My friends, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit guiding, comforting, loving, and counseling us. He is present. He is near, walking before us in all things. It is better for Jesus to be leaving and for the Holy Spirit to be present for the purpose of that Jesus, physically incarnate, can only be in one area with his disciples. Yet the Holy Spirit, when he is sent, brings the omnipresence of God. That all of us can walk in the comfort and the guidance of the Spirit of God. That's why it's far better for him to be here. He is the treasured presence of God. He's the comforter, the counselor, the advocate. And when the struggle of life seems most present, the presence of the Holy Spirit is most known. That is the counselor and the comforter of God. And there is a nearness to who He is that we see all throughout Scripture. This nearness and this sweetness in the Holy Spirit's presence that cannot go understated. We see all throughout Scripture, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 2 Corinthians 3. The mind is set on the Spirit's is life and peace. 
You will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said is true. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit, 1 Thessalonians. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, in Romans chapter 8. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase, Acts chapter 9. Are you guys seeing a theme here with the Holy Spirit? Sweetness, comfort, love, peace, all of these things, freedom, hope, goodness, joy, full assurance, comfort in life. These are all the words describing the person behind the Holy Spirit, the person, who He is. And there is a sweetness to Him in His presence. He is the holy, active, loving, comforting guide of our lives. Living and breathing alongside us, in us, and through us. And these attributes of Him, because He's described as counselor, advocate, comforter, they reveal the sweetness of who He is and His personality. He is the counselor because of the, He is wise and discerning, right? He is the advocate because He is passionate about connectivity. He is the comforter because He as God, is love. And what He does in our lives flows from who He is. And, and that's just, that's most, mostly for me, because sometimes I can tend to look at people through the lens of their function and what they offer me, right? What they offer me. The people surrounding my lives are, what, what can they give me? And so I'll start to identify people by these specific titles that they hold and how I can leverage that or how it can help me. I know I'm way more sinful than you are. That's just the way I think sometimes. And so it's important for me to say, well, he is the comforter, but, but that's because he's this. So yes, he, he comforts me, but that's because he is love. So, yes, yes, he is the counselor, so he counsels me and he guides me, but that's because he's wise and discerning and filled with all knowledge of all things. And so looking at the person behind the function of the Holy Spirit is important for me as I draw nearer to him and experience relationship with him. And another aspect of who somebody is Discovering who somebody is. So if you, if you were to want to discover more of who I am as Zach, of who I am, you have to meet my wife, Megan. So, so in order to know me fully, you have to know the person I love most. Now, that's just an aspect. For those of you who are married, you understand that a little bit. It, it, it's just, it, it, and, and for those of you who aren't married, it, it, it's this, you are partially defined by who you love most and who you adore most, the people you have surrounded yourself with, your friends, your family, all of these things. And that's a part of understanding the person of the Holy Spirit as well. First, he loves Jesus. He loves Jesus. He's passionate about him being glorified, and this tells us that he is humble and Christ-centered. So the work he does is going to be Christ-centered and Christ-glorifying. He loves the Father. He loves 
the glory of the Father being manifest. He loves the holiness of the Father being known. And this tells us something about the Holy Spirit, that He is pure and undefiled. He loves us. He loves us. He loves our hearts being restored to God. He is active and compassionate in us and towards us. Amen? And because He loves Jesus, and because He loves the Father, and because He loves us, He brings us and invites us into that loving relationship. He is the inviter, the prompter. He, he's, he's kind of like that, He's the poker. <laughs> he's the one who pokes us and says, come on, come on, come to Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who comes alongside people and says, let's go. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin. He says, come on. It is because he's passionate about Jesus. He's passionate about God's glory and holiness. And he's passionate about you and I drawing closer to him. The Holy Spirit is the connector between our hearts and God's. The Holy Spirit is the connector between our hearts and God's. We actually see that in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 describes something. He says that, that the Holy Spirit, when we don't know what to pray for, when we're kind of unsure what we need to pray for, have you ever been in that situation? It's just like, God, God, mm, ah. <laughs> it literally says that, that groaning that happens. When we understand, like, there's something happening in here, but we don't necessarily know what it is. We just know that we need God, but we don't even know what to ask Him. Romans chapter 8 describes the Holy Spirit as the one who is interpreting those groanings to God for us on our behalf. Do you know what this means? It means that He knows your heart so well. He knows your heart well enough that if you're just like, uh, 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 he knows exactly what you need. He brings that to the Father. I love that. I love that, that, that the Holy Spirit, he and I have a language. That you and him have a language where you're not even sure what's going on in your heart, but he knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what that grumbling and that groaning is. He knows exactly what event triggered that feeling in you, even if you don't even know it yourself. He knows you. And that is so beautiful that He intercedes on your behalf. He is the master of knowing us. And He is the expert in our hearts. And that's cool. Psalm 139 says this, I want us to really soak in this passage. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me and too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? So who is the Holy Spirit? He is the one who knows you. 
He's the one who understands you. He's the one who is near. So near that David said, where can I go? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Do you know what that kind of sounds like to me? It sounds like you're in the middle of this vast ocean and you say, where can I go from this boat? Where can I go from this? There's no, there's no other place where I have the capacity to feel safe and comforted. And there's no other mode by which I can adventure in this place without this. The Holy Spirit, He is that in our lives. He is the active pursuer of your heart and the guide of your life. God is near. He is God near. David understood that there is no running from him, nor would he want to. Because there is a sweetness to knowing God and being known by God. He is the orchestrator of knowing you and of you knowing God. And I think many times it is very hard for me to experience this intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And there's several reasons for that. There's many reasons as to why we put up these blockades or why we are unable to be vulnerable or why we block ourselves out from being known by God. But I think this morning, if you can have any sort of image of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life and who He is, that he is the God sitting next to you. He is God near. And he's inching a little bit closer to you. You know, like when your spouse or some, someone that is intimate and close with you, right? Yeah, they're just, they inch a little bit closer to you. They inch a little bit closer. And then you start inching closer to them. You start inching a little bit closer to them. That's the sweetness there. That the Holy Spirit draws close to us. And as we see him drawing in and seeking that intimacy with us, that we would just scoot over a little bit. That we would scoot over. And sometimes that's hard. I know for my wife and I sometimes, there's, there's times where we're, we're either like, it's awkward, or we're mad at each other, or wh- whatever it might be. But it's like, I want her in the room with me, but I don't want her next to me. You know? Or, you know, she, she wants me around because, like, I need to re-hang up the shades. But she doesn't want me sitting next to her holding her hand, right? Because for whatever reason, right? They're, I mean, don't judge me. I see some of you judging me. <laughs> for whatever reason, sometimes that happens. And I felt this very real experience this week of that was me with the Holy Spirit for a while. I want him in the room because he does a lot of cool stuff, but I don't want him next to me on the couch. And then I read this psalm. And I'll close with this and I'll pray us out. I want this to sit with us. Besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's the strength of my heart. He's my portion. He's he's the gift. He's the gift. 
That's what the portion means. It means that he's my allotment. He is, he is everything. In Psalm 16, that he is not only the substance, but he is the one who holds it. And as we know more of the Holy Spirit, we want more of him. So this morning as we worship, as we seek his face, let's inch a little bit closer as he inches closer to us. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, give us your spirit. We know why. You said, hey, it's better that I'm not here physically with you because you get the comforter and the counselor that understands every part of your heart. So Holy Spirit, be here. Draw near to us. For anyone in here that is afraid of that vulnerability, that is afraid to allow the Holy Spirit to draw near, that he, he wants the Holy Spirit in the room, or she wants the Holy Spirit around, is afraid to have him close. Holy Spirit, draw nearer. Remind us of your love. And as we seek your face in worship, that we would fall deeper and deeper in love with you. It is in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.